and welcome to Soberholic Podcast. This show is designed to address topics that will encourage, equip, and inspire you to explore life's most difficult topics and overcome your biggest challenges. Today, your hosts, Roger and Jason, will share from their own experience how you can find hope and healing in recovery. Welcome to Soberholic Podcast. My name's Roger. I'm in studio with Jason. And Jason, we've got a special guest today. Yes, I'm excited. Yeah, you know we always talk about we've got the best guest ever, um, and we've got a great show lined up. And honestly, we don't know what kind of show we've got lined up because we've never had this guy here before. No, yeah, that's the exciting part about doing a podcast. And so, Jason, you've only met him like one other time. Yeah, um, but he's told us pre-show, like since he's been in the in the studio, that um, he listens to our show regularly and he knows you from the show, which is that weird thing. Now he knows you, but you don't really know a whole lot about him. Yeah, so. Let's go ahead and take a guess. Uh, one to ten, how do you think he's going to turn out today? It's going to be excellent. An excellent. I can already tell. Like you gave a politician be... answer. You didn't give a one. You didn't give a ten. You gave an excellent. <laughs> it's going to be. It's going to be good. I, I, I agree with you. I think but, I'm, I'm looking for a ten. I'm but, looking for a ten because if there's somebody who knows how to talk, this guy knows how to talk. Yes. <laughs> like I'll, like I, he may bomb everything <laughs> else, but he will definitely take use of the microphone. I can already us. tell. <laughs> <laughs> well, Griffin, you can tell already. I'm talking to you and about you and. So so uh, for all of you guys listening, today's show guest is Griffin Long. I met him in recovery um, as I've spoke at places. He has spoke at, at places I've been in recovery at, and it's just been cool to get to know him because prior to recovery, I did not know you, but I've got to know you since you've been in recovery, and which is always the best time to get to know someone because I don't know that I really ever want to know you when you were out in active addiction, just like you probably didn't want to know me because we've been stealing each other's wallet from one another. And that's not a good place to be, right? No, definitely not. Um, and and the, the ironic part is as I got to know you, you know, a lot of our circles were the same. We were we ran close, close circles when I was out. Because when I talk about my recovery and my addiction, my, my you know, that kind of breaks down. And I had two addictions. Well, I got plenty of addictions. But I'm taking one at a time. I hear you. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, so part of where you're from, you know, that was part of my early running area. And it's just amazing how um, the circles come together and how our friendships and how we bloom and and grow and recovery and just meet these people that we never would have met or associated with i mean i'm sure i would have associated you when i was out there but it would have been for less than five minutes because i had other agendas to do right well it's always about how we could use somebody use them up and leave them um but you know, today what I wanted to do is what we do with all of our guests that come in. Um, I say all of our guests, all the ones I can remember having here, at least in this past year, is we get them to come in and share with us their story of kind of what their life was like um, with whatever addiction they struggle with, uh, what happened, you know, what was that changing moment in your life, and then what it looks like to be different now, changed and living in recovery. And so take some time, if you will, Griffin, to talk to us about those days when it maybe wasn't so happy, joyful, <laughs> and free, you know? Well, um, you know, my, you know I, I've been in recovery a little over eight years now. And for me, I love the similarities, but we're all so different, too. You know, we all come from different backgrounds, different upbringings, different uh, financial backgrounds. Everything about us is different except for when we walk through these doors. Then we're a brotherhood then we're family um me i you know like 
I think the general public, you know, they get this idea of, of drug addicts and alcoholics. You know, the guy under the bridge. I didn't, I or, or the abused kid. I didn't have any of those kind of things growing up. Mm. I grew up upper middle class. My dad owned a couple companies. Um, you know, he was a he was a loving man, uh, very loving. He encouraged me in school and sports. Matter of fact, he was a track coach at Mountain Brook. You know, uh, ex marine. You know, just. I grew up in a good, solid family. My right. mom and dad, I'll tell you the truth, I think a lot of my relationship problems, I was joking with my mom, is I watched those two love each other, and you see that kind of stuff. And, you know, I grew up in a good, stable home. Uh, we didn't struggle financially. Um, you know, I think, I think though, when I talk about my dick, my thing was, uh, and I struggle with this still, is I've always been a people pleaser. You know, I've mm. always, we moved from South Florida um to clanton verbena alabama you know this is kind of a culture shock by the way <laughs> 15 minutes from the beach to the middle of peach country it, it was um you know it was a little different than what i was used to and the kids were a little different but um you know i i like i said i grew up in this great loving family where he owned companies the only thing really was he was a really busy dude so he didn't really have time for me um and you know i grew up making good grades i played sports you know i was just your your you know i was just your average kid on well to the rest of the world but for me and if i'm gonna sit in this studio and be honest about things um you know and this still happens today i always struggle with acceptance mm -hmm. i think that's where the root of my addiction kind of kicks in because I always, you know, I'm a good talker. Y'all know that already. Mm -hmm. But I always struggle with when I leave the room, did they really like me or were they being polite? Mm -hmm. You know, what what I've always struggled with acceptance. And um, I tell this in my story. A lot of people know me know this. I was adopted. Uh, my mother was one of us. And uh, she decided that I, I was her third out of five children she decided um that she was going to give me up for adoption she drove from rhode island to west palm beach florida because she'd read in a magazine it was the richest place in the united states wow. so she wanted to make sure that i was adopted by a rich family hmm. i didn't find this out until after i was in addiction because my whole life i grew up thinking well my mommy didn't love me even though i had loving parents mm -hmm. um so i think i've always i think the root of what i got into was acceptance and anybody who's been out into the drug or alcohol world, you know, it's pretty easy to find easy. It's pretty easy to find acceptance in that world. You don't have to have much. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> pocket full of dope. Yeah. You. <laughs> you're the, you're everybody's favorite friend then, yeah. you know, I, and I was one of those, I got a fake idea like 16. So I could buy everybody alcohol and all this. So, you know, and I, like I said, you know, I, I went to Bessemer Academy for a short time. So at 17 years old, I, I had my own apartment. As a matter of fact, it was at Ryan village, which, you know, in Hoover in 1995, that was kind of the place to be. Hmm. And um, so I got really popular with the kids up here. But what I didn't realize was it wasn't me really popular. It was access to me and the things that I had. And so already longing or wanting real relationships, you know, I kept seeking the I kept seeking real things out of fake people. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. and, and to be honest, I don't know anybody in recovery 
that is the same person that went in. You know, because I feel like when I came, I felt, I'll be honest, those first couple months, I got so, I felt like I'd been to the boot camp or war. I mean, because I was physically exhausted. I don't know, y'all know this or not, but I started out in the hospital. Yeah, I didn't know that about you. Yeah, I started started out, I was actually in the ICU unit when I started recovery. I weighed 120, I mean, I'm still a little guy. I weighed 127 pounds when Mm -hmm. I got sober. I mean, I was, uh. I was uh I was on death's door. I mean from But did cuz I was about that same weight when I got sober. But did you really think you looked good or did you think you were in poor condition? You know, the last the last couple months um I didn't really think anything, man. I can't even really remember my last couple months cuz I'll I'll be honest at the end of my active addiction um, I was, I was down in a lot, man. It was, it was over 30, it was over like 30 beers a day. Right. Something like, I mean, it was a lot mm-hmm. of alcohol, especially for anybody, right. but especially a little guy, right. mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I went, um, because my addiction kind of fooled me for a while because, you know, I was really successful cause my dad owned a company. I was in college and I was married, and we had a nice house. And, of course, you know, addiction will rip apart a marriage because mm-hmm. um, I did some really morally questionable things throughout the marriage. And, um, you know, it. You, the funny thing is I never saw it going in. You know, you, you, you look back when you get sober, but when you're in it, you, you never see that downhill slide, that Mm-mm. big collapse, because you're always thinking – Oh man, I I get that back because mm-hmm. we're all. I mean, I don't think I've met too many people that were active that aren't hustlers that they're. We had to be. I mean, I know I had to be because I mean there were times when the power's getting cut off. I don't know how that's going to get cut on. I got to come up with money for that because I don't want to drink in the dark. Yeah, Jason talks a lot about um, his addiction was a, a series of small compromises. Mm-hmm. And I'm always like, that's a really great way of putting it. Yeah, well, yeah, because I, I think, you know, we started out and it was good times, and then all of a sudden it's not good times anymore, and you want to quit, but at the same time, your addiction's telling you, I got to keep going, I got to keep going. And, and it keeps telling mine, for me, kept telling me, it's going to work itself out. It's going to get fixed. You know, I'm your, uh, at the end of mine, mine was like, I'm your only friend. What do you got left? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'll be honest. I went from a I went from living in a hundred eighty thousand dollar house me and my wife had bought to my parents' basement. You know, it took me, and and like I said, I was on booze. Man. That's a very good point. You know, I've never heard anybody say. You know, when I got an active addiction, I went from a hundred eighty thousand dollar house to a three hundred thousand dollar house. I've never <laughs> heard that. It's always in reverse. You it's know? Always the other way around. It, well, and the other part of that though mm. is rebuilding that. Um, sometimes happens magically, and then sometimes it, it takes a very long time of deliberate action. Because just like me in my recovery, um, you, like you got, well, I think you might know, Roger. You know, my father got, that was part of the catalyst, too, for me getting sober was because dad was always the rock of our family. He could put up with my shenanigans. And uh, he had Alzheimer's, and, you know, he had it for going on 14 years. And when he started getting really bad, you know, I I had to move in with my parents, and um, it it was rough. I will tell you though, the beauty of it is, is I surround myself with so many people. As bad as that was, 
I was able to get so many blessings out of being stuck there because it taught me a lot of humility. Mm. And it taught you, you want to get humble, shower your father. Mm. You want to learn how to, how to walk in God's grace, take care of a dying parent. Mm. It, it will teach you like, it will teach you life lessons that will, you can always put back in your recovery. I hate the things that I personally had to suffer through to be able to help in that situation but also I was very blessed with my recovery family because it gave me a lot of time to myself to focus on other people and be able to help them because believe it, there's a lot of us out there Right. that and it's not just drug and alcohol, you know, mm-hmm. a, there's a lot of people that struggle with so many different things and everybody's so embarrassed to come forward to you about it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're all, I want to keep this in the closet. I keep my stuff in the closet. It kills me. So what was the big turning point for you? Um, when you, you said enough is enough with the drinking, something had to change. What, what was, was there a particular moment in your life that changed you to want to get sober or did you just happen across it by accident? Laying in the hospital bed in Montgomery. Mm-hmm. I had an accidental overdose. Um, I, I'd went from drinking and I'd got my hands on, uh, some sedatives and um you know i you can tell when i talk i'm very uh i try to watch triggers in case anybody's listening um but um and uh you know i was so far gone i don't even think i knew what i did and i ended up in a hospital bed um they almost had to put me on a ventilator um and i remember um my mom crying and you know i knew i'd hurt her and, you know, we know we hurt people when we're out there, but we're just like, eh, you're overreacting, you know. I got this. I'm fine. No, that was my favorite thing. I'm good. Yeah, I got this. <laughs> I know what I'm yeah. doing. I'm a professional. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it was, it, you know, just seeing the way and my girlfriend time, which uh, we, we broke up years ago, I will say she went into recovery with me. Um, but for a long time, uh, matter of fact, almost four years of my recovery, we were together in recovery together. Um, it was very instrumental to be able to go through that with family and a loved one right there by your side. And just laying in a hospital bed, you know, that that's a wake-up call. Because mm. throughout my active addiction, I'll tell you the truth, I've been to um, – I've been to several treatment facilities, you know. I called them vacations because, yeah, yeah. You know, I wasn't really there to get Sabbatical. sober. I was there to dry out. Right. Let's be very clear because I was like, I just needed a break and needed to get healthy, and I'd put on 30 pounds in 30 days and get out. I'm like, well, I can, I, I'll just go do this on the weekend Mm-mm. and it, it did always start that way i'd just go out i and need drink. to get it back down to where i can manage it again yes. big oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah that's how it started out you know and so i went in you know i'd come out and i'd feel great i'd put on 30 pounds well i'm just gonna go out and shoot some pool on saturday and hit the bar and then you know saturday turned into friday the next weekend it was friday and saturday and then the next weekend was, you know, they had something going on Thursday, so I had to go check that out, you know. But I won't drink on Thursday, only on Friday. Just hanging yeah. out. Until yeah. you drink on Thursday and decide, well, only Wednesdays will be the day I don't drink. Well, the amazing thing about that, too, is when you're looking, you find something on Tuesday night, too. <laughs> so it, it, and the amazing part is how fast it snowballs. Oh, yeah. Um, 
And I'll tell you, that's one of the other things that, um, you know, watching relapses is so painful for me too because, man, so just anybody with any time when you've seen them relapse, man, it's just you're right back where you started and it's so scary um and and for me you know it was a long i i I entered my first treatment facility i was 17 years old i didn't think i had a problem you know i just had started partying um and then i went to let me see i've been in bradford three times and i've been in the because my insurance would no longer cover because i was fortunate enough to have insurance my insurance and never I went to the mental hospital twice because they're like, look, dude, we done sent you. To, we're not paying for treatment. That stuff's expensive. I was like, I didn't know I didn't get a bill <laughs> for it. You know? So, um, I went to the mental hot and I'll tell you the truth to this day. Some, uh, some of the things I use in recovery, the mental hospital, I wasn't able to use it and get sobered in, but some of the things I learned in the mental hospital were amazing for me in recovery because I had to learn to tolerate people with a lot of different afflictions you know, everybody comes through the door, addiction isn't their main thing. And it taught me to be more accepting of people and, and where they come from because we're all walking this thing. We're all trying to get – I know everybody that – we're all trying to get to the same place, but we all got different starting points. Mm-hmm. We all have different mindsets, and it's really difficult to compare my race to your race. Mm-hmm. And it's really dangerous for me too mm-hmm. because – I start looking at where you're at. I'm going to say, well, I got this. I should be here. Mm-hmm. And I shouldn't be anywhere but where God's telling me to be. Right. You know, he's got me where he wants me for a reason. I, I don't know what it is because if I did, I, I would I would gladly submit to it. And I'm I'm very hard-headed in that way. But, um, you know, like I said, my my recovery was, was forced upon me. I had no choice, man. It, I literally was that dude. It's do or die. And um, that's why I get awkward um, with people when they congratulate me for recovery. Oh, I, man, I'm the same way. Like, my wife will, you know, early on, she was like, oh, congratulations on three years sober or whatever. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I mean, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, a lot of, like, a lot of recovery programs will give a chip or a key yeah. tag or something out. And there for my first year, I would do everything I could just to get up here and get that one year chip. Yeah. Like that was going to be the holy grail. Get there, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then as time has went on, I really don't want to go up there and get it because I don't want to be seen in a spotlight or, you know, how did you do it? Those words yeah. and all those things. Because, but, but then I remember that I'm the one that gives hope to a newcomer right. because there was men and women before me that had years of sobriety. I'm like, there's no way. There's no way that's real that they could do that. And so I, I go get it because that's what I'm supposed to do. Right. Um, but there's no, there's nothing that I did other mm-hmm. than just do the next right thing, you know? Yeah. I, I think that's a lot where, uh, you know, that's where, I think that's where the humble part of recovery comes in though, because I didn't write 12 steps. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't do any of this. I, I literally just had to get to a point where my addiction beat me beat me so far down almost beat me to death if i'm being real honest i mean almost death to say okay i i played this i rode this pony as far as she's going to go it's about (laughs) to kill me and maybe i should open my ears and shut my mouth Mm -hmm. you know because being a big talker i wasn't always top of my agenda so 
um you know that's what i had to do and and i had to be that at that level like most people are because i did have to i had to come in and shut up and listen to like what you did or what you did and you know listen to these old timers and say okay look i think my biggest regret though is coming into recovery i had this um i had this uh like preconception that once i got in recovery all life's other magical problems would just disappear you know like yeah. i i really thought i was like well now i can go out i'll get it i'll get this and i'll get that and i'll be a millionaire and i'll be living in a mansion out in california because mm -hmm. i thought that's what recovery gave me the beautiful thing is the gifts that gave me are worth so much more than that because mm -hmm. like when p i'm kind of like you i'm really humble about my recovery because I don't look at my recovery as my recovery anymore. I look at it as a gift that I'm supposed to be giving other people. Right. You know, God did not pull me out of the death of despair for me to go around saying, oh, look at me. I'm Griffin. I'm so great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He rescued you from something for something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, listen, I love listen that. Listen to the preacher over there pulling. Yeah, forward, yeah, he's huh? pulling from, from the pulpit yeah. over here. I, <laughs> he delivered you from addiction. <laughs> For the sake of other people, yeah, he, he's getting the sermon together with some points over there. I, got I, the first I, two there. I'm, I'm waiting for the pen to come out, take a few <laughs> notes on this. I huh? stole that. Don't <laughs> worry, I didn't come up with that. So it sounds like your story is much like mine and Jason's. I mean, yes, of course, you knew that things had gotten bad, um, but you really wasn't really ready to quit. Like you would be okay if you had to quit, but you wasn't completely ready to give in until you came to that point, as I hear most people, you got sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the change for you. It happened on a hospital bed. Your mother was crying. You decided to get into a recovery meeting and begin listening versus telling other people how you could do it or how they should do it. And so then I would assume, because it sounded like you went to a 12-step program, um, you worked some steps. Um, did you see the importance of a sponsor to do any of that, or did you do it on your own? Um, actually, I, 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 I will say this, a sponsor is the most important thing you can have. But, um, when I say I lost every, I didn't even have a car, you know, I didn't have nothing when I started out. So I turned on the only thing I had at that time was internet. Now I did do it with sponsors, but I had to do it via the internet. It's not near as good as face to face, you know, but yes, I did work through my 12 step program on the internet because that's what i had but at the same time a lot of people man i can't believe you did that's what that's all i had so was there any online meetings with that or how, yes how? yes uh there were i did an online meeting you gotta think this was a good number of years yeah, this is eight years ago right yeah so but relevant really, now yeah very yeah. relevant i yeah. didn't know this about this I, yeah I well, there was no zoom thing. Yeah. I, I can't do this i don't but there were do. online meeting rooms of some sort yeah they were kind of like uh you, you remember room. the old aol chat rooms yeah. and so they were kind of like that and we had a billboard bulletin meetings where people would post questions and replies and mm -hmm. it, it, it was very similar to a meeting but slower right you yeah. know and you know like i said i didn't have a car and I, I didn't have nothing i had internet access and i was determined to 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 get this thing now i've been in rehab so many times you know i had a good basis for a 12-step program um and like i said i started you out you knew the information you just never really applied it yeah yeah and some days <laughs> i'm still bad about applying it <laughs> some days i'm still bad about it but yeah i had the, i knew it but 
I needed some help with it. And uh, I'll tell you the truth, though, was what, you know, a couple years into my recovery, I got to a place where I was like, man, there's got to be more. You know, because don't get me wrong. You will never hear me. I love all recovery programs. I, I do. I start out in AA. I, I do NA. I still do AA and NA. I do, what, I do whatever I can. I actually, I do it to contribute. Mm-hmm. But at some point in my recovery, I got to this stale place. You know, I got to this place where I was like, there's got to be something more. There's got to be a little something more. And that's when I um, I first moved back to Clanton, and um, I got involved with Celebrate Recovery. And, you know, that's a Christ-centered program. And I had the recovery part down pretty good. And the thing I got there was a relationship with Christ. Because I'll be honest, even up to that point in my recovery, I'd stayed out of the church. Well, when I got involved in Celebrate Recovery, I got involved back in my home church. I even joined the choir. I, I don't know how they let me. but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, They even let me in the choir. I guess that's how desperate they were. But, you know, th- that was the... And I'll say that there's been a lot of milestones in my recovery, but getting back to a relationship with Christ was a real big one because recovery taught me, you know, it taught us all the same lesson. How do we live life on life's terms? Well, there's some stuff that happens in life that just, you can't come to terms with, Mm -hmm. you know, like watching my dad got sick. There was, I'll be honest, there was no way I would have got through that without a relationship with Christ. Mm -hmm. Because you can't watch something like that and think there's got to be something bigger and better. Because I have to find a purpose and stuff. You know, I have to find a reason. Even bad stuff, Mm -hmm. which I'll say that in my recovery. You know, I look and everybody, oh, God, I wish I wouldn't have to go through that. I'm glad everything I went through. Mm -hmm. It made me who I am today. You know, I'm far from perfect, but everything that I've, I've had to walk through has given me a better perspective. And sometimes God's just arming us so we can help the next dude. Sometimes it's not even about me. Most, I've figured out most of the time it's not even about me, but my ego loves to think it is. <laughs> so, so I've got to ask this question, um, and, and I don't know exactly because I have no clue what you're fixing to say here, but you, you say that you were sober for a few years, um, and then you came to this decision that you felt like you needed more in your life. And if I heard you correct, that's where you came to know Christ. Mm-hmm. So prior to that, you were sober um, with your own conception of God, is what we hear in secular meetings, AA, NA, and all those things. So what was that idea of God for you then? Was it based on a childhood belief or, or a, you know, an ideal of, of this God that you heard when you were younger? What Great was spirit it? of the I mean, universe. I, I think that's normal with a lot of people in recovery. Um, you know, and, and and that's a beautiful question. I love it. And, and it's kind of on the other side of that it's kind of hard to answer because I think it was one of those things. Cause I know for me, I'm great at pushing things to the side kind of. Mm-hmm. And I think that was one of those things in recovery that I just kind of mouthed through because I wanted all the other stuff that, you know, living sober had to offer. I just kind of wanted to skip that part. Well, yeah, I've heard some people kind of praise it up like this. This said that their God was just kind of the group's good orally direction. Yeah. Yes. And so it it really wasn't so much they knew what their God was. It just knew they wasn't it and that whatever I was a part of, I was working. So I'm going to just rely on that. Yeah, I mean, when you first get sober, you ain't got to 
figure the universe out. Yeah. You know, the guy that just come in, um, you know, facing death and overdoses and stuff like that. I mean, it, you might not want to be like, hey, you need to figure out your conception of God right this second. Right. You know? <laughs> well, that, that was a lot of my story. There's a reason that intrigued me so much when you said that, because a lot of people don't get into that part of their story. They they kind of graze over that. And go, oh, yeah, I just came straight to Christ. <laughs> no, no uh, because like for me, I knew a little bit about Jesus from being younger, but I really wasn't raised in church. I knew that's probably what I was supposed to believe, but there's a lot of other things that I'm supposed to believe that were wrong. I mean, heck, I believe that Pluto was a planet, and come to find out it's not. <laughs> but um, so, um, you know, so I, I didn't know what to believe then. But early in recovery, I just knew that it wasn't me, um, and I, I was not serving as a very good God in my life. And so I just had to believe that, you know, was it really Jesus that I believed in the first couple of years? I don't know. I mean, sometimes I, I will say that I got saved on the side of a rehab bed. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, because there was a lot of changes that didn't happen. But today I can tell you that I do know Christ. Um, and the difference between me at day one and probably, you know, 16 years into it is I, I learned this much that you know, that old saying, what is it? Y'all have heard it, something about you go to AA to save your butt, you go to church to save your soul. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, somewhere in the midst of that, I knew that, uh, like you, there, there had to be more. And so I didn't just get sober to die and go to hell um, because I began to feel more that that was a real thing, not just a make-believe story. Yeah. And so I wanted to say, okay, well, then let me learn more about really this hell that we're talking about. And that led me to Christ in, in a weird way. And so um, I don't know. I, I get what you're saying because in the beginning I, I was kind of mixed. It was cloudy there. I went through the best I could through those first three steps. But did I really even know what I believed? No. Heck, I didn't even know what I was doing when I was <laughs> probably three years sober. I mean, I was just going through the motions. Yeah, and you know, a lot of people, and, and I hear this all the time in recovery, a lot of people get so caught up in that. And, and you know, I just have to remind basically anybody, you know, look, there is no perfect way to do this. If you're getting 24 at a time, sometimes it's more painful than others. Past year, my I've had a lot of painful 24s. Mm-hmm. I've walked through a lot of painful stuff this past year. Um, but on the beauty side of that, being in recovery so long, I knew what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew to reach out and find. I knew not to go lock myself in my room and cry about it. I mean, I did a little bit. No, I ain't gonna tell no lies there. But I did. I, I knew when I finished that, I better hit my knees. I better get on the phone with other people who've been there. Mm-hmm. And you know, for me, that the, that early walk, I was like you. You know, I I I had no clue what my higher power. I just I showed up and you dudes were doing this and you seemed pretty happy because y'all were laughing and joking and I'm wanting to hit y'all with a frying pan because I'm kind of shaking a little bit because I I want to go have a drink you know and and so I I really I'm like most people man I I had to sit down and shut up mm. that's that's my secret to success and for me that was tough but at the same point they you know I had to walk my way into a relationship with Christ I had to. And I think the things I went through seeing my father's deterioration, you know, watching something like that, I had to put faith in Christ that that was his plan because it didn't seem right to me. Still doesn't. Mm-hmm. If I'm being honest sitting right here, it still doesn't seem right, something like that. So, but I don't know why we had to go through what we went through, but it's part of his plan. 
five years from now, I might be talking to you and, um, but you know, two years from now, it might be perfectly clear that I might be walking into what all this had me walking through. I can't worry about that. I have to worry about what, what he's got me walking through right now, because just like I thought my active addiction was the worst thing that ever happened to me, to be honest, sitting in this chair, it came out to be my biggest blessing. Right. I wouldn't be able to connect with you. I wouldn't even be sitting here with I wouldn't even know you. Right, exactly right. You know, I wouldn't know any of y'all. I, I wouldn't be able be able to help people out the way I'm helping them out because you can't you it's harder you gotta you're trying to preach heaven to people who've been living in hell. Mm-hmm. And if you ain't lived in it, it's kinda hard to get through to them. You know, that's the power of one addict helping another. It's hard people think because they're not uh, they're not like us that we don't care or we don't No, it's not that it's just if you hadn't walked it out with if you hadn't been there and one of my favorite things a is uh using against your will mm-hmm. and man i can remember times sitting there crying in a mirror not not wanting to take a drink you know i've been there i've been like i god i don't want to be like this no more but what i didn't realize was god god wasn't denying me he just wanted me to walk out in faith a little bit, mm-hmm. and I wasn't willing to do that at the time. Yeah, it's definitely hard. I mean, sobriety is not simple. Um, well, I guess it is simple. It's just not easy. Not easy. And, um, you know, I, just talking about going against your will, just thinking here lightly with me, I know it's a completely different addiction, but you've mentioned several times there's more than one addiction, uh, of eating really good during the day and then at night, that last hour before I go to bed, going, Nutty buddies, yeah. uh, two nutty buddies, you know, and, and I'm sitting there eating and I, I'm like, you've done so good all day. Why now? Why give it an hour before you go to sleep? And so it's not so much about willpower. It, it is, um, it's making those hard decisions, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe those are cutting friends off or cutting place you're going, all of those things. And, or like you, I mean, we joke a lot about you being able to talk and always all that, but knowing I've got to sit in this room and keep my mouth shut. I mean, and like for the first couple of meetings, you don't hear nothing because all you're trying to think about is don't say nothing, don't say nothing, don't say nothing, don't say nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So it is, it's fighting yourself in some ways, but it's also surrendering to the process of recovery and, and letting God do for you what you can't do for yourself. But uh, Griffin, I want to thank you for coming on and sharing your story with us. Um, It's been really enlightful for me um, to hear some of that, some of that I didn't even know about you. So it's good to get to hear more about you and your story and, and the people involved in your story. But we close out every one of our meetings or our shows, I guess would be a better way of saying that, with um, what we call the final four. And I sent you these questions, and hopefully you've had a chance to think about them. If you didn't, I know you'll be able to answer on the spot. I got I got faith in you. Um <laughs> In fact, it may have been easier to come up with faith in that than it was in God for the first time. I just, <laughs> <laughs> I knew you got an answer. <laughs> I, 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 like I said, you, no problem talking in this chair. Um. All right, so here is our first question. Can you name a book other than the Bible, uh, a movie or a podcast that has changed the way you look at an area of your life? I will tell you this, um, the, the Shawshank Redemption. I, I love that movie because I correlate so much of it with addiction, being trapped in that prison. You know you don't deserve to be there, and you're 24-7 thinking, I can either make this work or get out of this prison. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I just have always loved it. You know, that movie came out while I was in it. So I've always loved that movie because it, it, it correlates to me so many different areas in addiction and recovery. Being trapped in something you're not supposed to be in. And you can't quite figure out how to get out of it. I've watched that movie a ton of times. Oh, yeah. Like if it's on, I'm going to leave it there. Even yeah. if I don't watch it, for, you know, the whole thing, it's going to be on yeah. if I see it. All right. Number two. If you had a blank billboard to share advice with the world, what phrase would you put on it? Be kind to one another. Mm, be kind to one another. I I think that you know I think a lot of I think a lot of our problems in the world don't come from anything than us just not trying to be more compassionate to what the next man's going through. I mean, like I said, we're good in recovery because we all got the same. We're all battling kind of the same thing. There's a ton of stuff people are going through. Mm-hmm. I don't have to relate to you to be, empathize with you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We're all walking through this thing the best we can. Only way I found it is hit my knees. Good advice. Number three, when talking about the 12 steps, what is your favorite step? You know, that was the one when you sent me. I'm sitting at home last. I'm like, oh, gosh. Like, I, I love all of them, you know, because every single one of them. And I was actually talking to my mother about it, and she's like, well, you have to start at step one. I'm like, yeah, I love you, Mom. That's why you're not in recovery. But thanks for the advice. <laughs> um, and, you know, then I thought, my favorite is step 12. Because that's when you take everything that you learn and all this hard work and all these things you've done, and you get to actually go use it. And you get to drag the next poor schmuck out the gutter. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, I thought like, that, that everything you sent me, that was the one I had to think the longest and hardest about because all of it has such beautiful healing processes, but step 12 is where it's at. That's what we do this for. And so we can go drag the next poor dude that's just like me out the gutter and say, look, I know a way out. Mm-hmm. I've been there. And, uh, so I definitely have to say carrying a message to the next addicts always going to be my favorite. That's good. That's good. And our last question um, comes to this because from time to time we have listeners that want to hear more about your story and, and hear ways they can reach you. And so that's simply our last question. How can people reach you? Um, on my Facebook page uh, is Griffin Long. Um, is picture uh, of me behind a pulpit, ironically. Um, you can reach <laughs> me at griffinlong31gmail. Um, also, um, at my no, I don't mind giving out my personal cell phone number. It's 205-294-4194. Any guys are out there struggling, text me, call me. If I can't help you, I'm going to find somebody who can. I hear you, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Um, you know, one thing, the probably not you try to sum it up with one thing, but this was the new thing I, I learned about you is that, you know, even early in recovery, it wasn't going to meetings. The traditional thing you hear all the time is you got to get to a meeting because you didn't have a car. You didn't have transportation to get there. And there's no doubt that there's other people just like us in that same situation. And even right now with the COVID thing going on, it couldn't come at a better time, your story, because there are people right now who can't get to meetings because there are no meetings right now. Mm -hmm. And I do know that there's some meeting in different places, but, uh, Overall, 12-step meetings have taken a blow as far as places to meet in-person meetings, and it's taken the community away in a lot of ways. But uh, to hear stories like yours that even happened eight years ago 
prior to COVID or anything else that you can get sober in that method of just going online to meetings or picking up your phone and making those conversations. Um, it's possible. And so thank you for sharing with us. And I know our listeners appreciate that as well. So, Jason, I guess that is the end of another show. Yep, that's it. Well, well, my name's Roger. I'm Jason. And we're signing out. Thanks for listening to Soberholic with Roger and Jason. If you like the show and want to know more, check out SoberholicPodcast.com. Please remember to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next week, Soberholics. Soberholics.